Zach Servideo from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up for more than 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Shabidio here from Boston Speaks Up. And I'm here with Isle de Nature CEO, Veronica Armstrong. Hi, Veronica. Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for joining uh, Boston Speaks Up today. Uh, give a big thanks to uh, your 10, 11-year-old uh, for, for giving you some, some space for the podcast this afternoon. And... Um, and being their self-sufficient selves and, and figuring out lunch and, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, appreciate, I, you told me pre-podcast, the, uh, the pup, the pup is in a uh, little puppy daycare school right now. So, um, really appreciate the, uh, creating this, 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 um, unique opportunity for some quiet so that we can do a podcast. Cause I know we're both parents and, and, uh, juggling parenting and, and, and work is as challenging as it's ever been. <laughs> For sure. Now I'm really fortunate that my, my kids are at an age and I think they've just been part of this lifestyle for so long. They both, act, my, my daughter actually is an aspiring podcast host and she has her own podcast mic and everything, which is really funny. Um, but I, I do a lot of interviews. So those, those two really get it, but the dog just has, he's 12 weeks old and has zero respect for podcasting. So <laughs> totally necessary to get him out of here but um no really excited to connect with you wonderful so i'll i'm gonna read a brief intro and then we can kind of flow into conversation veronica armstrong is the co-founder and ceo of isle de nature a boston-based home fragrance startup that recently placed runner-up at roxbury pitch night a virtual pitch night hosted by venture cafe new england's roxbury innovation center Isle de Nature offers a line of home fragrance products starting with candles made from beeswax and soy. Armstrong is driven by the belief that, quote, unspoiled nature is a luxury, unquote. As climate change threatens the islands, she draws inspiration from. Isle de Nature's signature fragrance, uh, signature fragrance, Pegua Bay, is inspired by the bay leaves indigenous to Dominica. Armstrong has deep expertise in e-commerce, customer acquisition, and product growth. As employee number four and the former head of customer happiness and general manager at Love Pop, Armstrong helped the brand grow from unknown to Shark Tank to dominating the specialty card market. She spends her free time mentoring female entrepreneurs and was named one of the top 20 female VPs and directors in Boston Tech by Rev in 2018. So folks, we got a badass on our hands. <laughs> uh, Veronica, thank, thanks again for joining us and, and indulging me with, uh, with with reading that that brief intro. And I'm looking forward to kind of unpacking a bit more of your your career, your trajectory. Um, and let's kind of start with where you grew up because it's um, it's right right next door to where I grew up. You, you grew up in uh, 
in Lawrence, Mass. I'd, I'd love for you to talk a bit about your childhood and uh, also you, sort of unique um, unique upbringing. Not everyone's uh, father is a mayor. Um, and at, you know, at one point, your, your father was the mayor of Lawrence. So can you, can you chat a bit about uh, growing up in, in, in Lawrence and the Merrimack Valley more broadly? Yeah, I think it's funny, right? When you're growing up and you have no sort of perception of the outside world and and how where you live is perceived, it was all just very ordinary, Um, predominantly Latino community, very poor. I'm a first generation American. Spanish is my first language. My parents came to America from the Dominican Republic Um, when they're fairly young. My mom was two. I believe my dad was in his teens. So they were, you know, fairly Americanized, but still had a lot of the challenges that any people who were born to immigrants face. Um, my parents worked in a factory that eventually, I believe they had both worked there for about 20 years, um, was purchased and like sent overseas and things like that. So I would say my upbringing really framed my professional life in, in a few ways. So the first was I just, I have profound love of the Lawrence community and um, all of the gifts that I've been given in my life, I feel can be tracked directly back to being in that community. Um, Watching my father work as a community activist um, while he worked at the factory and just watching how beloved he was in the community and how much of his time he gave to make Lawrence a place that people could be proud to be from was really meaningful for me. And then also just watching how hard my parents worked to ensure that I had a much easier go at life than they did was was pretty awesome. Um, my dad didn't become an elected official until I was a little older, but it was really exciting to watch him pivot from community activist to campaign manager to making history as the first Dominican elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives and a bunch of other stuff that he did that he was the first to do. So I always love talking about where I'm from and and who raised me because there's not a day that goes by where something exciting or meaningful um, either happens to me or I reflect on it and it can't be directly mapped to um, that community. That's great. Uh, Out of curiosity, are you familiar with the program Tech for Hood? No. It's cool. I mean, I, I'm with you. Like the the Lawrence community is special. Um, and then having grown up in Methuen, like even some of my some of my you know friends, like aspirational friends from from Methuen, have kind of migrated toward Lawrence. Like my buddy Marcus Sebastiano is um, is a pretty big time artist, and he's got a big studio um, at the Mills in Lawrence, and he does programs with with um, like the Lawrence Youth Center, like teaching them art, like like designing skateboards and like all sorts of like fun, like art projects with youth and tech for hood was another program. Um, actually Roman hack is he, he moved here from the Dominican Republic when he was 17 and he's an official Snapchat lens creator. Like he came to America, fell in love with like software engineering. He's got a great job at Phillips health systems. And then he's banded together with, um, a bunch of, the Latino um, community, sort of tech community in Merrimack Valley. And, and they, in one of the programs he does, Tech for Hood, is like meet, meeting up with a bunch of youth in Lawrence at the Lawrence Public Library and teaching that, like teaching kids um, how to, you know, have fun with zeros and ones, like designing filters for like a Snapchat app that they're, that there is tangible to them and like very real and, and cool. Um, and it's just anytime I start to scratch into the, what the community is kind of 
um, doing, uh, in, in sort of that, the Lawrence area, like I'm, I'm just always in awe inspired, um, at, at how, how much people give back and sort of like get really innovative with sort of like the, the programming that, that can be offered, um, to young people to kind of help create more equity, um, as, as, as sort of folks of, from different backgrounds kind of, you know, grow up and, and, and enter the workforce. So just kind of wanted to, to share, you know, that's, that's been a little bit of a theme of the Boston Speaks Up podcast, um, over the 50 plus episodes has been sort of like uncovering these things, you know, these sorts of, um, inspiring figures. And I would, I would, you know, I would throw you in that bucket and, and, and have kind of admired, admired from afar, um, how your sort of ascent, if you will, um, to CEO of, of, of Isle Nature. And, and, and I, I get, you know, I, I wasn't sure where you were from exactly. And to find out you're from Lawrence and, and sort of, which is, kind of you know local and kind of home to me and was, was home to my wife um it's just it's it's a great i think it's a great story I'll, I'll i will certainly enjoy sharing your story in particular back to like the merrimack valley chamber of commerce and like that part of the world uh, because i think a lot of a lot of young people will benefit from sort of hearing it um so thank you for that long monologue um yeah but, yeah but 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 it, but really just grateful to to have you know to have you on the podcast today and and I guess kind of scratching a little bit of what I, what I just teased out, like, I'm just curious, like before we move in a little bit more to your kind of, you know, career, you know, career arc and, and, and evolution to where you are today. Um, are there any particular organizations, um, uh, burgeoning sort of new sort of political figures from, from Lawrence, like anything you want to point us, you know, me toward and like Boston speaks up listeners toward like, um, just as like points of inspiration that we should maybe explore a bit further too. Yeah. So first I know Marcus, we went to Mr. One High together. So send him my nice. regards. He's amazing. So awesome. nice to um, hear of all of his contributions and work. So definitely a shining star in the community. I mean, I'm always going to bring it back to my dad. Like yeah. <laughs> my father, I think is considering another run and, uh, you know, not, not to make this just about him, but if you're from Massachusetts, you know, you know, the stories and my father was accused of all sorts of insane crimes and was just slandered by racist local newspapers and really wild stuff. Um, someday yeah. I would love to write a book about it. It's just been a wild ride for the family. And my father's never committed a, he's just never committed a crime, never anything, but you know, no one's ever written about how these were all lies. And my dad actually, you know, didn't do all the terrible things he's accused of. And so for somebody who has been put through so much and who I, I think it would have broken anybody else. Like, I honestly don't know how he survived this um, right. to come back and say, I love this community so much that I'm going to keep showing up. Right. And I'm going yeah. to redeem myself even when others won't give me redemption. I just, I personally don't know anybody who's been doing it as long as him. (laughs) So that's, that's really it, you know, and a lot of people are like, you know, it's time for a different generation and we got to inspire younger people to run. And and there's, there's definitely a whole slew of incredible um, elected officials and community organizers and warrants. But um, for myself, that is the person that that I'm most interested in. I, I think that we as a community owe him a lot. Um, and I'm personally very inspired by him and, and how he's persevered and also just what the city looked like during his tenure versus what it looks like now. Um, there are a lot of bright sparks 
spots and people working really hard, but ultimately you can have all the nonprofits and community organizing in the world that you want if you don't have a solid foundation and representation um, at the highest local offices then that change is going to be much more difficult to attain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really, um, yeah. <laughs> that's my answer on the community. It's, it'll always yeah. start with him and end with him. That's wonderful. Uh, I, I want you to extend an invitation to your father to, to come on the podcast, maybe at an appropriate time when he's got a particular community um, initiative or like something to do with like a, you know, a race that he's entering and, and, and a new agenda that he's looking to, to get out. Like, and I'd love to unpack honestly that, that, um, that history and that sort of the, 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 the slanderous, um, shots blows that he's taken over the years and his resiliency through that. I think that'd be really interesting to, um, and I'd be grateful to talk to him about it. So, so we should, let's put that as a, as a, you know, something in the future we can perhaps, uh, Kind of come together on and uh um, yeah but i do yeah, i want to yeah. chime in with this what he's yeah, spending yeah. his time on is he's actually yeah. a federal employee which you cannot be if you've ever con- been convicted of a crime so right. he's a federal employee and he works for the census which is like the most important thing right now is yeah. making sure that everybody is counted so he's yeah. far less focused on how he's been mistreated i care about that because i think it's yeah. not fair when that happens to anybody yeah. Um, but he's honestly doing some really important work. So I'll, I'll looking forward the invitation, but I'll leave it on that note, which is yeah. like, fill out the census form. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel, uh, yeah. You hear that listeners and they'll show up at your house and they'll walk down your driveway and make sure that you fill out the census form if you don't, but I, I filled mine out and it's funny. I, and I just, I see, I see folks complaining about um, the follow through, but fill out your census. It helps decide like where money is appropriated to help, sort of create, you know, as best as possible, like better equity in, in the communities, certainly of Massachusetts. Um, so fill out your census. It doesn't take that long either. It takes like, I don't know, five to eight minutes. I think it took me. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm told, I, I, I would like to, um, double click on that endorsement. Um, and by the way, that's funny. It's funny. Yeah. That generation. So, you know, Marcus, um, Sebastiano, he's been, a, he's been a podcast guest. You must also know Michael Bernier. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is an artist, right? Yeah. He's like an artist musician. Uh, he's a master of ceremonies before the pandemic. He was doing like 150 events a year. He lives up in wow. Newburyport now, but uh, yeah, he's a really yeah. good friend of Marcus. Him and Marcus actually moved to Newburyport together, like after high school for a while, before they both kind of settled into their um, their yeah. lives. But they're still good buds. That makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good peeps. My, I've I've visited Michael in his retrofitted barn now studio and, and interviewed him for the podcast there. That's um, so cool. Yeah. Um, so so let's talk about. And I, th- I feel like there's, there's a few, there's probably some good stories here. Like, uh, after graduate, you know, talk, you know, graduating high school and like w- what opportunities you felt, um, were there for you to go and pursue going to UMass Amherst, which, which was, has sort of been a, you know, a, a journey and, and, and ultimately like, so sort of like completing your degree there. Um, you know, what, what talk, you know, talk, talk with me and kind of share with listeners, um, what a young sort of 18 year old, um, 
Veronica Armstrong. And is it was it was it Lantigua at the time, and now it's Armstrong? Um, it's Veronica yeah. Lantigua Armstrong. Yeah, Veronica Lantigua Armstrong. So, what did a uh, young Veronica Lantigua Armstrong sort of set out to do at eighteen? Like, what was your sort of? Did you have a career ambition yet? Like, was your your you know? I think you're you were heavily influenced from uh, sort of your, your, your parents. Uh, but yeah, what was it, what was it like kind of entering that phase of your life at 18? Yeah. Um, I had no idea. Um, I just knew that I needed to be financially independent. So I started college at 17. I, I was 17 when I got there because my birthday is in August and I dropped out maybe two months later. I just I had a ton of scholarships um, and I just couldn't afford it like point blank. Um, there was nowhere to work around there. And I just had a lot of guilt about putting that kind of debt on my mother. And so even though I had this like amazing opportunity to go to this beautiful undergrad with tons and scholarships, I just couldn't afford the balance. And I dropped out. I had no idea what I was going to do. Mind you, I'd been working since I was like 14. I always had summer jobs and, you know, I did the standard thing. I worked at the mall, um, all those things. And so it was not... I didn't feel great about what I was going to do because I literally just had no idea. Um, and it's funny. I feel like it must've been so traumatic that I've like blocked it out because I can't even remember what was going through my head. It was just very much like drop out, find a job, go back to school and finish. Like that was it. Um, so at that time, my dad was running political campaigns and the legislative aide of Jose Santiago, who's the state representative of the 16th Essex, which at the time was Lawrence and part of Methuen, his legislative aide went to go work for the lieutenant governor of Rhode Island, and he had no one to manage his staff, um, you know, his affairs. And I was just, my dad calls me, he's like, do you want to do it? I'm like, why would you hire like a random 18-year-old dropout? Like, <laughs> what is this? And he's like, well, first of all, you're not random. Secondly... I, I had gone on a field trip when I was like seven or eight. I went to the state house. I stood in the grand hall and I said, I'm going to work here. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. But ever since I was a little kid, I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. So, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a lawyer or, you know, this classic like immigrant kid occupations because we don't have the privilege that like my kids, for example, do. My kids know CEOs, my, my kids know entrepreneurs, my, my kids know vice presidents of marketing. Right. Like they know they have all of these career ranges available to them because my husband and I, but like, I didn't have that. Like my parents worked in a factory. And so I knew you could do that or you could do one of these, you know, again, immigrant dream occupations um, in the like eighties and nineties, which was like doctor, lawyer, you know, the same stuff. Totally. So um, I just, my dad was like, just take the job. Like you're, I'm literally offering you like your dream job right now. And I just had, I guess this was like before imposter syndrome was invented, right. Where I was just talking myself out of the job. And I was like, why me? Like, this is ridiculous. Like you should hire somebody else. And my dad was just like, just go do it. Um, I did. I loved it. I absolutely loved being able to serve my community, um, drafting budget amendments that benefited my community, meeting with nonprofits, understanding what they're, you know, where they were under-resourced and how I could connect with the representative in terms of ensuring that, you know, we, we would have enough money secured for them in the, the next year's budget and going to events at the Mary Immaculate Senior Center, like you name it, I loved it. I loved that job. To this day, it's in the top two of like... Just, I adored every single thing about it. Um, wow. I did that. My dad ran against my boss, um, which again, <laughs> if you're local, you know the whole thing, um, which meant that 
I, I'm pretty sure it's not illegal to work for your dad, but I personally think it's highly unethical. Um, it was just kind of his time to shine anyway. So I stepped down. And so I was also going to school full time. Um, I was like the vice president of the pre-law association. And so in my head, I was like, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm like, I'm working full time. I have an amazing job. I, I work in politics, government. I was considering a run for office. Um, you know, I'll either be a lawyer or a lobbyist, right? It was mm-hmm. like all in front of me. And so when my dad took over that seat, I worked for another state representative. So at the time, Eugene O'Flaherty, who's now like, he works with Marty Walsh in, in Boston, but Gene was the state representative for Chelsea and the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Um, so for me, it was just a really good fit. First of all, like Gene's an incredible person. Um, so I've known him for a long time. Um, he, you know, was a lawyer, really incredible lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer and, um, Chelsea had a lot of similar issues to Lawrence. So it was a really good fit on the, you know, on the surface, but after getting there and after having kind of run the show at, you know, 18 and 19, it was a little hard to go plug into a more established staff and have like layers between myself and the representative. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of all set with that. So we were just mutually were like, eh, it's not working. Let's be friends. Um, so I think I'm like 20 at the time, 2021, I'm like super young. And I try one more thing in public service, which was, I went and worked at the executive office of health and human services around the time that Mitt Romney was like laying the foundation for the ECA. Right. And it was, fascinating and again if you're you know of a certain age and you were working in in boston or at that time it was a super exciting time to to be in any kind of healthcare because what was being done in our state was really unprecedented so i enjoyed it from that perspective but the work was incredibly bureaucratic and not exciting and so you know again like the bar was set so high for me to have my dream job that I loved literally more than like life itself at 18 years old meant that I would be unsatisfied with anything else that didn't match that level of passion and intensity. Like there's just no Uh, way I could sit in a cube, like shuffling around papers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I actually, I appreciate that. I want to continue on, on this arc we're at where you're, you're kind of in your early twenties, but I want to go back to when you were 14 and I'm curious, what were some of those jobs you had? You mentioned the mall. Was it the Rockingham mall? Like what, what were oh like, God. what were the, I'll tell you yeah. every job I had. Yeah, you, please what's do. The, what's the place? Um, is it called how is there, there's like a big gardening center in Methuen on like the Methuen Salem border. And it's huge. You know, Nicole Johnson, she, her sister, that Kim Johnson. Bell. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It was um, in, all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Kenny was in my brother's grade. Yes. I know Kim. Yes. Yeah, I know the whole Johnson family. Amy Johnson. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So Nicole yeah. is like one of my best friends. She and I are still um, really oh, tight. Cool. And so I was always at their family's house. And she had a summer job over at that gardening center that I cannot remember the name of. But every summer I would work with her over there and we would just, we would plant mums. Um, so it's funny. Whenever I see mums, I think about her and, and that experience. So I would do that it's in the summer. It's not man orchards, is it? No, it's no, like, I can't even, just, when I tell oh, you it's that over I in have the like, I'm, I yeah. can't think of the name of it. Cause actually that's for the, oh, I, I know I'm almost positive. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So keep, everybody does. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but I yeah. can't remember the name. Um, I did that a few summers, which was awesome. Obviously hard work, but fun. Yeah. Um, but I worked at the mall. I worked at Filene's and Macy's. I think I worked <laughs> at hot topic for a hot second, but the manager was a creeper. Um, he kept like his claim to fame was that he was the cousin of the drummer from the band Extreme that had one good song more than oh, words. Oh come on! Remember this? What a yeah, loser. and I was like, <laughs> I've heard this enough. I quit. So I quit Hot Topic. 
Um, so I worked at the mall and had those jobs. And then I would say my major job was I was a telemarketer for the Lawrence Eagle Tribune, um, okay. which is funny in full circle because that's the paper that loves to slander my dad. Um, yeah. So yeah, those were all yeah. my, my team jobs. Oh wow, that's um, was sort of the advice. And then, and I think all those jobs you do from fourteen to eighteen are so important. I ask people when I interview them, like I are for Fabric Media, like the, the company I'm a partner at. Like, what'd you do? Like, if I hear like people worked in retail and and or worked at a restaurant. I'm like, oh, thank God. Okay, sweet. So you've been like humbled in your life. You know, like I used to work the customer service desk at Bob's stores on Route 28. Yeah. And like, that's a good role to be in when you're 16, 17 years old. I remember when I got my big raise to $8.30 an hour and I thought it was loaded. Um, <laughs> but those, ro- those roles really humble you. Like in just serving people in the restaurant industry, like you know, and, and when I got to college, that's, that's what I did is work a lot in restaurants. Um, I'm curious, like on all that, like it, my wife and I always say, my wife's name's Elizabeth. We're always like our daughter, Mila, like we're going to, you know, Mila will work in the service industry, you know, when she's, by the time she's 16, you know, like we need to get her like, you know, and, and maybe retail too. Um, but you mentioned how your kids are sort of exposed to um, such, you know, different things. Um, and we'll have like, you know, access, you know, presumably like that means, you know, access to more potential opportunity. Um, but do you think about that? Like you're, you know, 10 and 11 years old, right. Or you're two kids age. So it's like a few years away. Like, are you like, what do you, what do you think about, um, like when they get to 14, like, are you going to similarly be like, Hey, like go out and get, get a job. Like I was also like a Lawrence Eagle Tribune newspaper. Um, uh, delivery guy, you know, like while doing those other jobs. Cause it was just like, Oh sweet. Like that's another way to make a little scratch. Um, and I don't know if necessarily Mila is going to have to do all these jobs, like, and your kids, like you and I did. Um, uh, but I think it's kind of valuable for them to do those jobs. So I'm just curious, like, you know, a lot, you know, a lot of us are all looking to express empathy in parents direction right now. And just for like the parent, um, in you, like how, how are you looking to approach that the next, the next few years? Yeah, I think about it a lot. Um, and I talk about it a lot because my kids are fairly connected to Lawrence through family. And, and obviously, I, it's my favorite place in the world. So whenever I can be there, I am. And it's very different from where they've grown up. So, you know, like my kids spent two years living on the Cornell campus while my husband got his MBA. And I feel like that's kind of the first place where you start to think about where they are versus where I was. And it's something I think about a lot. Like, what is mm. that like? You know, like what it what is it like to just grow up with such privilege? Like I have no idea. Like I think it's pretty crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. So they did that. They went to London while well, my husband studied at London School of Economics. Um, wow. They've seen their mom on Shark Tank. They've met, you know, Wambi and John from Love Pop and seen the guys that did it, and on and on and on. Like they they just they have access, and so I I don't know what it's like to be them. I just try to make sure that I relay my experiences, which is. Hey guys, you know, this isn't normal. You're, you know, people that came before us made a lot of sacrifices so we can be here. And like, let's never forget, like we can't take this stuff for granted. And so they're really grounded kids. Um, but I feel like they're also their own people and you have to see how it emerges. And so they both seem really entrepreneurial and I have no idea how much of that is being my kid and, you know, being my husband's child. Um, but my son, was selling like I don't know if you've ever seen them they're called fingerboards they're like little skateboards that you do with your fingers yep. and he bought like supreme stickers online and he and my husband like customized these fingerboards and he was selling them at school so oh, he's yeah. doing he, that 
and my daughter just always has like they're not even just good ideas they're actually really brilliant in advance for a little kid like one of them that's funnier is like she wanted to do this like mobile tooth whitening business but then she had another idea for a technology that's actually being developed where basically um if you're sending like a gross picture of your butt or something like that and it's on an app where children could be the technology would just obscure the photo and then you wouldn't have to see like someone's butt. I think that's what she said. Oh, that'd be huge. <laughs> <And that's, laughs> that'd be huge for me. Yeah. On that. yeah okay. actually, so she like says stuff and I'm like, wow, like you're really in tune with what's needed because some, you know, not yeah. to like burst, I never do it to like burst her bubble, but I'm like, actually this is really interesting thing that's happening. And so um, yeah. I think that, that we, we ensure that they both are disciplined and work hard and recognize their privilege and things like that. But ultimately something that I don't want to do is be like, you have to work like an animal because I did like, I just, white yeah. people don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like when, yeah. when white people have a random job that their kid is maybe or maybe not unqualified for. They don't sit there thinking about how difficult their ancestors had it and therefore their kids should have it hard too, right? They just give the kid the come up, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I, all I know is my own experience, I guess. But, I, but I, I, I think that the one thing I'd say there, and this isn't necessarily like a challenge, it's more just like, again, my own, my own thoughts. Um, I just think there's a level of humility that comes from working in working jobs period between 14 and 18. And I do think that, I think to your point, it does seem to me that, and this is one of the reasons I left the LA community. We lived out in Los Angeles and like Venice beach for five years. It's like, it just seemed to me, most of the people I knew older than me with older kids, just like their kids just didn't like, they didn't work and they didn't really. And I think that, for me and for my wife, like financially, are we like, is our daughter going to need to work in order for like our family to, you know, cover, you know, her gas money, um, and her meals? No, because I'm setting myself up in, in, in life to be able to provide for my family. However, um, I think there's a level of humility that comes from working, um, and certainly working um, where you have to interact with other humans that where you're providing, you know, a service, which, you know, I think restaurant retail, they, they come to mind. And, and my wife and I both got a lot of those types of experiences. We're going to, we're going to nudge our daughter in the direction of like, Hey, like, you know, get a job in your community. Um, and, you know, and volu- and volunteer, you know, like we're already doing that you now, like, you know, go to, let's do the Thanksgiving, you know, food drive, even though it's a pandemic, like there's ways you can do that. So, um, my, uh, my hope is that a lot of people do that. I don't, I don't know. Cause I, I kind of just focus on my own family unit and kind of peer group. Um, but I just think that there's tremendous benefit, um, regardless of the, of the means children come from that they I are humbled so. and work. Yeah. But if I do my job as a parent, I won't have to nudge them in any direction. And that's my perspective, which is yeah. I've been reinforcing these values since the day that they were born and I live these values. Therefore, my children already know how to give back. My children are already humble. My children already wreck. You get what I'm saying? Like, I did those jobs because I had no other choice and I had to contribute to my household. Now, whether those jobs gave me my superpowers, which are, you know, empathy for people and customers and service, like maybe, but I also had that way before then because my dad was out there giving his time to the community and my parents made me value hard work and they showed me what happens when a person works hard versus when they don't, you get what I'm saying? Like 
I already reinforce that stuff. And so I don't necessarily want, if my child had an opportunity to intern at a tech company or to go fold pants at Macy's, like I had to do, they're going to the tech company full stop because by the time they're 16, 17, all of the work that I've done in the preceding 16, 17 years of giving back, being a good steward of our community and things like that, foundation's already done. And for me, it's hard to not think about, I don't want to say where I am isn't great. It totally is. It's a privilege. But where would I be if I had what my kids had? Right. Yeah. Like how much. Yeah. So like, you know what I mean? Like we're on the same page and I'll tell you exactly why. You have to cheat. Yeah. It's it's, sorry to cut you off, but I I think we're making a similar point. The reality is you can't teach experience. And so if, if there is tech companies that offer internships to 15 and 16 year olds, which in some cases they do, but by and large, they don't. Um, then and your cool. mom's the CEO of her own yeah. company and knows a lot of people they do. Yeah. 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 Totally. I, I, I just, um, I think I'll, uh, I think that I'll, I'll just disagree on the point that it's, it's still not, I, th- I think it's still really valuable to, interact in your community in a job that kind of helps you understand like people from different socioeconomic backgrounds. So if you're working in a restaurant, like not to unpack it too much, like, you know, the chef, like the manager, like the other, your other peers at different ages, I think that there's a level of experience, like you can, we can tell our kids all we want about the, about experience, but they, you know, experience is, is basically, um, felt and, and, and not, it can't really be told. So, so I guess if, 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 if you're, if I've determined that that's a type of experience that I think would be valuable for my child, then I can't tell them about it. I just have to allow them to experience it. Exactly. And for me, like one of my husband's closest friends is the lead chef at Texas Roadhouse or he's a manager now, but like, Again, we're already living that value. So if they want to work at an ice cream shop, which my daughter's really interested in, <laughs> or, you know, is my it? husband was, right. My husband was a waiter through college. Um, my husband was a DJ through college. That's like my point is like, my husband and I live that life. My children are connected enough to it to understand what it looks like when people come from all socioeconomic spectrums, because I'm not far removed from poverty, given that I'm a first generation American. Therefore, while they probably will do those jobs at one point, I'm not particularly like hung up on it because I expended so much energy giving them access to people from all different categories of life. Um, That makes sense. You know what I mean? So like, I totally agree. It's just, I'm doing the work now. Um, and then it's up to them. You know what I'm saying? Like if it's 16, you want, my daughter's like super obsessed with being a waitress too. She has like 17 desired occupations. Um, (laughs) go ahead. But like, if you know, one of them is already working on, on coding, but like, if you have this other opportunity and you get to choose just solely on the passion of the work, like go do that. Cause I never got to do that. And I think it sounds cool. Try it. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting. Like that's the whole thing with parenting, right? There's like, who knows? We can do all of these things that you and I are saying and they can, you know, wake up in 12 years and be like, I'm going to be an astronaut. And that's what they do. Like, you know, right. do the best that we can while we've got them at home. Totally. That totally. Um, my, my, I just thought of my sister. Cause like she now works, she was working for paint night 
She was like you know, pretty oh, prominent. Yeah, yeah. And so she like she was an early employee there, like one of the top, like probably first like 15, 20 employees worked there for like, I don't know, good five years. And um, she wanted to move down to Rhode Island. She wanted to do that commute. This is like a couple of years ago. And like she just like she was having her time finding a job and she she had used to be in the service industry. Um, and she went and got a job at a restaurant and just like you know, talked to people a lot. And, and then one thing led to another and she like met someone who worked at this, um, animal wellness, like pet food company based in Rhode Island near her, the house she bought. And that's how she got her like next, you know, sort of, um, office job, if you will. And it was, so, you know, like things just happen and it's just like, you're right. Like you kind of have a certain, um, understanding of the, of the world. And, and I think whatever, um, whatever our kids do, my hope, you know, hope is that like, you know, they understand the value and like, you know, the, the network they keep and the sort of intentions they put out there because, you know, they're, that's going, you know, you're, you're as strong, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. You're as strong as sort of like the, uh, the orbit that you kind of create and build and sort you know, and sort of like, uh, draw your strength from. Exactly. I think that's really well said. Yeah. Also good um, for her. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She's like big, she's big on like, she's like, I'm just going to put this energy out to the world and like, go do this. And then like, she literally did it with the intention, like I'll meet people and I'll just, I'll figure it out. And she met a bunch of friends and she made, she, she met people who were her neighbors that would come in as patrons that she would be serving. And then she met and then she got a job. Like it was, it was amazing. Um, Great. So so kind of back into early twenties and, and I'd love to hear like how you ended up, you know, in Indianapolis and, and, and it sounds like you, like me have found yourself at, um, at a period of time, like in more of a corporate sort of cube land culture that, that ate at your soul a little bit. So, you know, that wasn't for you, but like how, um, how did you kind of, how did things evolve, you know, from 20, 21, 22, you know, and, and, and then eventually finding love pop and now getting on this, this journey with, with Isle to nature. Yeah. So after leaving, um, I just didn't want to be in the public sector anymore. And I didn't, I didn't know how to get a job that didn't involve like politics or anything that was politics adjacent. And I wanted to do it myself. I didn't want to ask my dad for, I just didn't want to, again, I think this was probably dumb because now it's like rely on your network like there's no shame in that but at the time I really wanted to be independent and find my own thing so I started temping um to learn what a corporate job was and what businesses do and how they make money because I'd never done anything like that other than you know the little customer service jobs as a teenager so I did a variety of roles and then the last one that I did I was a manager assistant at Bain and Company the management consulting firm And I was going to school full time. I was about to wrap up and I was like, oh my God, management consulting, this is what I need to do. So these people get to work on really cool problems. It's exciting because they move from engagement to engagement. They get to travel. They're all really smart working on really big problems. This is what I want to do. Um, so super funny because I remember he's a partner there now and, you know, he's been a mentor for like however many years it's been. And he sat me down during my performance review and he was like, you know, you're doing really great, but there was this one time, like you messed up my flight. And I was like, "Mm, let me interrupt you. Like, sorry, that happened. But like, 
I don't want to be an assistant. I, I don't care about my growth as an assistant. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry I messed up your flight. I really don't care for this feedback. And he was like, oh, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, what well, you do? And it like really changed the nature of our relationship. He was there, like, oh, okay. He's like, well, you need to do this and this and this. I'm like, all right, so go to business school. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go to business school. I need to get into a top 10 school, preferably a top five because Bain recruits from this school. So I'm like making this roadmap for myself based on what's around me. Cause at that point, that's all I knew about business. Right. That was really ballsy. And, and actually <laughs> that says a lot, that says a lot about him because I, my, my brother was in LA for a while while I was, and he worked for like some big power players in L in, in like the like Jerry Bruckheimer. So he was like the assistant to Jerry Bruckheimer. And like, yeah. if he said to Jerry and he didn't want to be an assistant, he's a writer and he's since left, you know, you don't, it's, it's Hollywood's a weird place. And he one time, like, he's like, well, I don't care about this weird detail about the schedule you have for your dogs. Like I want to be a writer. And Jerry was like, well, how you do anything is how you do everything was what he always said to him. So how you do these little, you know, and, and he would always just like, rather than like nurture him, sorry, Jerry Bruckheimer, you sound like a real prick. Um, he would always just give my, he would always just like give my brother this, like why, you know, this, like this, like, you know, what he felt was this wise response of like, well, these details are, you know, these are, these are, you know, how you do any of these things is how you're going to do everything. And that's, that's, what's going to allow you to grow and blah, blah, blah. My brother's like, yeah, but I'm wasting my time doing this. So then he eventually just left. Um, so I just wanted to like, it, it's really special that you, I mean, it's ballsy of you to bring that up to a superior. Um, and then also really cool of them that they were like, Oh, cool. What do you want to do? Like, I just want to acknowledge the fact that not, you know, not everyone in that position is going to have such a positive response. So that, that, you know, kudos to, um, kudos to him for having that type of reaction, but also kudos to you for being, being so ballsy. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things, context, right? Number one, I actually agree with what Jerry said, and I do have immaculate attention to detail. But what, what I picked up on was that he was struggling to find feedback to give because he needed to say something. And so he pulled this really ridiculous minor thing just because the performance management system required some kind of constructive feedback, right? So that was the first thing. If it was like yeah. I had a history, you know what I mean? So it was like, the context of it was like, you're crushing it. And here's this one dumb thing from nine months ago when you were new that I have to say, because the system won't let me put nothing. She rocks. Right. So that was right. the first thing. The second thing is I don't view anyone as my superior ever. And the third is after watching my parents give 20 years to a company and then having it go overseas and, you know, watching them scramble as adults to redefine their careers. I'm not loyal to any company. So if he had told me in that moment, get out, I would have been like, gladly, like I'll have yeah, to you're the asset in, in five minutes. Like, you know what I mean? So it's yeah, not, that's and, great. And, and I was telling to young just, people, you're the asset. Like you're, exactly. it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter what age you are and what experience you do or don't have. Like your energy and your commitment, your time is, isn't it's valuable. And you're an asset. Exactly. Yeah. And so before you even start me, doing things. Yeah. Right. It makes me probably not a super fun employee to have if you're not a really great manager because I'm quick to walk out. Um, sure. But again, that's just like watching my parents. It's like, all right, this isn't, this is a reciprocal relationship. And so I know I work hard. I know I'm a top performer. And therefore, if you don't like me being open with you and you feel like that's enough of a reason to sever our relationship and lose a good employee, 
I'm more than happy to go. (laughs) So yeah. yeah. So that was that. And, um, I started doing like the business school circuit and I went to Carnegie Mellon's diversity preview weekend, um, in October of 2007, met my husband, dropped out of college, quit Bain, moved to Vermont, um, started working in defense, got pregnant, got married. And my kids were both born in Vermont and I was working at general dynamics, a really large defense contractor. Um, yeah. so completely totally changed different. all of the plans. Um, <laughs> yeah. was, I loved Vermont, obviously loved my kids, but my husband and I were both like, mm, neither one of us is passionate about the mission here, which is, you know, not good. Um, secondly, if you paid attention to defense, you knew that the future of warfare was like not going to be on the ground, um, tactical weapons, which is what I, I spent my time on, um, so I was a supplier manager, sourcing agent. So basically oversaw the production of large scale weapon systems and managed like 200 suppliers around the Northeast that mm. created the parts. So I loved being on the manufacturing floor and visiting suppliers and negotiating and getting a you know a really good price. And I especially loved how it was always like these white male machine shop owners. And I would come in like super pregnant and brown and they were always like, who is this person? And I'm in charge <laughs> of their like, $10 million contract. You know what I mean? Nice. So like just having that power on these people was always really enjoyable. But um, so yeah. I can find passion and work that I don't necessarily like. Um, but we both knew like, there's no way a, you know, fortune, what is it? 500 contractor is going to keep an outpost in one of the most expensive places, which is, you know, Burlington, Vermont um, and drones, right? Like drone technology was improving. And so anyway, he and I were like, right we got to make our next move. And so we decided, obviously it made more sense for him to go to business school because I still hadn't finished my undergrad. And, um, he got into Cornell, which had been my top pick. I had actually gone to the Cornell weekend, the weekend after I met him, made a bunch of friends. I was like, sure. That's where I was going to school. Um, and that's just not how it worked out. He went, me and the kids were there, you know, you know, that story we lived there. And, um, my husband was offered a job at Eli Lilly in Indianapolis, um, in their executive leadership program or something. So we came here, um, we chose Indianapolis because we just, you know, everyone's doing the same thing after going to these like elite business schools, right? You're going to be a management consultant or you're going to be an investment banker and you're going to live in New York. You're going to live in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Maybe Chicago. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Maybe. And for me, I was like, "Mm, I don't know. Like, I just don't see the joy and trying to be like, you know, my husband trying to be in, going to be an investment banker, me being alone with two little kids living in New York, paying off student loans. Like it didn't sound fun. And I'm yeah. like, let's just go to the cheap place and pay our bills. Um, so we did, and we actually loved it in Indiana. Um, so he was doing great at Lilly. I started working for a wholesale paper party conglomerate. Um, I started as an associate channel manager. So I oversaw like, I don't know, it's like $50 million worth of seasonal programs at Target. So we were Target supplier for these like end caps. So if you went there today and hmm. saw a pumpkin shaped plate, that's probably a mold that I worked on or, you know, Hoffmaster has since refined, but, um, that was really fun. I really mm. loved it. That's where I kind of fell in love with occasions and, um, consumer packaged goods. Um, but I got sick of it um, yeah. after like nine months. That, that, in, in Indianapolis, it, it actually is a, 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 from my network. I, I'm, I'm aware, or I believe it to be like a pretty solid e-commerce city. Like the, the tech stars in Indianapolis, 
blanking on Jordan's last name. He was the CEO of Coach Up, but I think he's there running that Tech Stars. My buddy Ryan Light, who is the CEO of Pistol Lake now, which is like a minimalist menswear company that he's like based in LA. Like he he did Tech Stars indie because Indianapolis is like that is pretty like heavy on on sort of like an e-commerce sort of like innovation ecosystem. Is that something that you kind of would you say is true? Like, have you experienced that sort of network in, in Indianapolis and maybe it's small, but that's just my understanding from the tech stars there. You know, I don't actually know. Like I know sports management is really big here because IU yep. is a great program in it and things like that. Um, but it is where I got my e-commerce start, right? So yeah. like, after I got bored with that job, the person that I had originally interviewed with, um, you know, he actually, I brought him over to Love Pop and we're still really good friends. He hired me as his product manager and subsequently digital marketing manager for B2B and direct-to-consumer e-com properties. Um, so like that was my first foray into that was was here in Indianapolis. And so that's how I got into e-com. I, um, I really enjoyed the work, but both my husband and myself were not into the corporate cultures that we were encountering in Indianapolis. Um, mostly like my experience at Hoffmaster, it just wasn't an organization that really valued like moving fast, experimentation, um, you know, doing things differently in order to get a big win. Like it was very much like do as you're told, leave at five. You know what I mean? It was, yeah, yeah. it was an exciting. And as you can probably tell, like I'm either an employee that you love or I'm an employee that you hate. I'm a difficult employee in the sense that I expect to get as much out of an opportunity as I'm putting in. Yeah. And so there just wasn't a lot of ambition at this organization. And I was like, eh, I'm too young for this. I'm, I'm out of here. And so my husband and I went to Massachusetts, which is obviously where I'm from, yeah. and thought it would be nice to be around family because, you know, since we'd become parents, we were in Vermont, which was, you know, a three and a half hour drive. Then we were at Ithaca, which is super hard to get to. Then we were in London and Indy. And so we're like, let's just go be near family for a little while. Um, and I wasn't going to work. I was like, my husband was like, why don't you like take a break? You, you know, my daughter wasn't old enough for kindergarten yet. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm going to take a break for like the first time in my life. Yeah. And like three days later, I was like, I'm going to work in a startup. <laughs> <laughs> your, your three day break. <laughs> yeah. He was like, what are you talking about? So when we were in Indy every Friday, I watched Shark Tank and my husband was like, you're a dork. Why do we do this? And I'm like, I just, I know I'm going to be on the show one day and I just, I want to watch it. And he's like, well, what are you going to be on there for? I'm like, I don't know yet. I just know that I'm going to be on it. Right. He's like, okay, crazy lady. And I would watch it every Friday. And um, I had opened a fast company one weekend before I moved back to Massachusetts. And I saw this woman in it, Jennifer yeah. Fremont Smith. And she was named one of the most creative people in the world or something like that. And I looked her up and I saw that my friend Raj, who I sat next to at Bain, he was a consultant when I was an assistant. I saw that Raj knew her. And so I don't know if you know Raj, he was the CEO and founder of um, Localytics, yeah. um, which is a pretty big company. And so I had no idea that like Raj was a big deal. I just, loved Raj because I used to sit next to him and he was a good guy. Um, yeah. But I reached out to him and I'm like, hey, I saw this lady in a magazine and I see that you know her and I don't even know if you remember me, but like, do you mind connecting us? And he was like, absolutely. So I'm like, oh, that was nice. Connect oh, me yeah. with Jennifer. When I get to Boston, I meet her. She was hiring for her startup on is called Happy at the time. I meet her and it was, I think it was a sales role. And she was like, listen, 
you're obviously super talented and not a good fit for this role, which is like totally fine, but you're new here. I want to keep in touch. You live in Belmont. I live in Belmont. Here's my cell number. Please let me know if you ever need anything. And I was like, oh my God, this lady that I saw in a magazine, like who made time for me is busy. And the CEO of this amazing company is like offering to like help me shuttle my kids around. And that was kind of where I fell in love with startups, where I was like, this is such a different experience than my, what I had experienced at corporate, which was very much like people trying to dull my shine, you know what yeah. I mean? And keeping yeah. in my place. I was like, well, this is cool. And this is literally the only thing I knew about startups. So my husband was like, he's super supportive. He's like, fine, we're going to start up because there's these two guys out of Harvard Business School that are looking for you. They're looking for a digital marketing manager who understands the occasions industry. It's paper party. It's literally you on paper that they're looking for. And I was like, well, I don't want to do it. So that's nice. And my husband was like, why don't you want to do this? This is like the perfect job for you. And I'm like, I already did that. Like I've done cards and party and I'm like, I want to do something else. So I was interviewing with a different tech startup company. And my husband, who's a former management consultant, was like, I'm going to put together a deck of all of your accomplishments. Look it over and make sure it's accurate. I'm sending it to these guys. <laughs> and so I've always been really bitter that my husband didn't apply to Harvard because if he had gone to business school in Cambridge, I could have saw my mom and had free childcare. So it's like an inside joke with us. Like, They're at Harvard. And I'm like, I don't care. So he sends the deck and Wambi calls me. And I'm very, I was super underwhelmed because there was like nothing about Wambi on the internet. like. Yeah. which to me was weird. Like he had no digital footprint. I'm like, who is this guy? But I talked to him and he was clearly intelligent. And I had my um, former boss from the Indianapolis company who was uh, um, an American greetings executive. So he knows this card stuff. I had him talk to Wambi and he was like, well, Veronica, I agree with your husband. Like you should give him a chance. I'm like, what is? So I go in, John and Wambi invite me for an interview. And like within two seconds of meeting Wambi, I was like, yes, we're going to change the world with pop-up cards. This is what I'm doing. Hell yeah. Um, John, love John, love their mission, their passion. Um, I don't even have childcare for my daughter at this point. Um, they could barely pay me. I literally paid to be at Love Pop for the first year there. Um, wow. but yeah, that's how I got People, to startups and that's how yeah. I got to Love Pop. That's so neat. And you're, I mean, there's something about the startup culture that's like, it's more of a, it's super practical. It's just more of a, like the word family comes to mind. Like, it's just practical. Like, like it, it because it's, there's no like standard, like nine to five o'clock you punch. You, you just come across as someone that's like, you're just a very passionate, energetic and intelligent human. And so like, you're going to bring this like amazing energy. That's not going to like just punch a clock and stop. Right. And that's what like startup culture, you kind of have to grind. Uh, but that's, a, that was a big, I mean, that was a big leap by you to, to sort of say, um, I'm basically going to pay, you know, invest, you know, valuable time, um, in this, you know, year, you know, first year, year plus to kind of, because I believe in the vision of the company so that how long, like how, like how did things kind of evolve at love pop and like, where'd you start? And then you became sort of like, you know, head of customer happiness, like general manager, like you had, like, were you at that role, like right out of the gates and you just were sort of like helping them, kind of firmly establish themselves and did you know like did that involve you know did you paying it forward and not drawing really a big salary like give you some nice skin in the game like, like what what kind of lessons would you share with young you know budding entrepreneurs that are that are a lot of our listeners that that you would kind of um share as like really good you know insights from that experience yeah don't do what i did um <laughs> i love love talk 
so much. Um, I always called it like my third child, but ultimately I was not a founder, right? And so mm-hmm. upon reflection, what I sacrificed versus the outcome, I do not think they're even, like whatsoever. And right. that's not to say that it was a bad decision or anything like that. But again, being a person of color does factor into this, okay? Like mm-hmm. we are historically underpaid and, and all sorts of other like random, you know, forces that we do have to consider, right? So if you are a person of a similar background to mine and you have the opportunity to be paid your market rate, like then you should do that. Yeah. <laughs> like full stop, like you should do that. I yeah. had privileges that I'm always, I'm always happy to share my privileges. Number one, I'm married and my spouse earns a great living, right? Which yeah. affords me the privilege to make a, a sacrifice like that. Number one. Number two, it's the same thing for being a CEO. Like I've been working on Ildenature for two and a half years and not making a penny off of it. Again, mm-hmm. that is a privilege that I can do that and live a nice life. So I do not think, I do not have a blanket recommendation that people do what I did. Everybody's circumstance is different. I got, so much out of the love pop experience. I'm forever indebted to um, John Awambi for the opportunity. I started as a digital marketing manager. Um, I pivoted to head of customer happiness after our first Shark Tank experience, which was probably better suited to my strengths, um, which was just loving customers and taking everything that I learned from them and then funneling those insights across all of the organizations. So like, if every person that called was saying a certain thing, I would tell the marketing team like, Hey, put this in our ad copy and see what happens. And you know, yeah, it's like like 25% of people that were on a Microsoft browser were having a problem with this page. I could tell the product team like, Hey, you might want to prioritize this because it's costing us, you know, X amount in revenue because these people can't come on and on. So sure. it was customer support, but yeah. with a very like cross horizontal and yeah. yeah, marketing and data focus. Um, That's cool. And then while I had that role, I did two other things. I led our B2B sales, which was custom card orders, which was fun. And then I led growth for a wedding invitation product, which um, once my team and I took it on performed really well. And so I became the general manager and um, oversaw a cross-functional team of like 25 people, um, led a team of direct reports, and we brought a new and exciting product to market. So we did some incredible things. The company grew really quickly, but I do not think companies are families. um, And I think that people should be very careful to ensure that what they're putting in they're getting out and it doesn't have to necessarily be in a quantifiable way, but like love pop could exit tomorrow. Like I'm not going to be a millionaire. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think I would even break even on the salary I left on the table, but I right. chose some of these trade-offs because of um, just some of the cool stuff I got to do. I enjoyed what I was doing, but ultimately, um, you know, it's, it's not a Cinderella story. It was a job and I loved it. I'm proud of it, but it was a job. Yeah, that's. I similarly learned at some. I helped like building businesses and portfolios for like consulting firms and agencies out out west. Like when I moved to LA, like I was dubbed partner, you know, and and but but not sort of hadn't handled things correctly and contractually to to have sort of uh, carved out equity stake in things that I was building, um, pre fabric. And so while I regret those things because it impacted my compensation greatly, um, in particular, like some of the, um, exits for some of the companies were like the font, you know, the, the team I was working with did have equity, but 
it gave me the knowledge and and confidence in later in, in in the last you know five years to whenever I'm you know entering into relationships like all right well I I know to ask these things and there's plenty of plenty of startups and and folks to collaborate with and and if they're not willing to give you know give me skin in the game, then I'll just go in another direction. And that's totally fine. Um, because exactly. if, because if my energy, if my energy is special and it's going to help, it's going to help, um, it's going to help this pop. And when it, when it does, and when it has a fruitful exit, like I want to reap the benefit of that. So I think that that's like, it's interesting to hear you say it. Like, I, yeah, that's, that's one of those tougher lessons to learn, but I think that's a valuable thing to share with listeners. It's like, you know, don't be afraid to, um, to, and don't be afraid to ask. I also just didn't know what to ask for when I was younger, which, you know, like it's, you learned that the hard way too, right? Like, Oh, I wonder what would have happened if I had asked, like, who knows? Exactly. Like, I don't think there's, I don't think there's nefarious intent, right? Like maybe sometimes there is, that's just, you know, I don't think that was my experience. These were great people. Like I wouldn't have given as much of my life for those three years if I didn't believe in these people and, and the mission. Right. Um, yeah. but it's more of like, uh, you know, when you have time away and you get to reflect on it, I think it would be really unfair if I didn't tell people. Right. So for example, I send all paperwork to a lawyer now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have like founder so, friends where I'm like, does this, does this equity split look, look right? You know, totally. because what I learned is like, it's and here's why startups are not family if it was family they would have said like you know this is what similarly situated employees are getting in terms of equity who've been here less time than you and here's what you're getting we don't think that you're where they are and therefore we're going to give you more right like i would say that to my family i'd be like hey you know what like you should really advocate for this thing because here's where you're at like this is a business that's it not not a family and so when you don't know what to ask for, you don't have the benefit of um, experience, hindsight, or a community of people that you trust to just be like, or the privilege of having 250 bucks an hour to pay a lawyer to take a look at it, right? Um, You just sign on for these things. But I just, I I reflect on the experience with nothing but um, just gratitude, good memories, and tough lessons learned. Um, And and I think that's what we can ask from anybody, but never ever think of a startup as a family ever. Um, And my second takeaway is if you're going to give that much to a company, you might as well be the CEO. And that's why I am at Ilden at Church. There you, there you go. Uh, Quick side note, best, best few hundred dollars an hour I've ever spent um, in business has been on my own, like a, like an independent sort of, employment lawyer like but but at different times have tapped tapped on a lawyer for 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 similar similar reasons definitely definitely money well spent that lawyering it can really be the difference between uh you know getting value getting your optimal value out of a job negotiation salary negotiation but it's also helped me in uh moving and like understanding like non-disclosures and like you know like you know i think we all Massachusetts is very, is very friendly by the way to, to, to us individuals. And, um, you know, if you want to go and take your, your network and your time, you know, and, and start working in for yourself or with other people, like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of scary NDA talk that, that those companies that you're right, like then, you know, they're not family. They'll sort of like intimidate you into maybe not going full tilt with like the full breadth of like the, you know, the network and the knowledge that you, 
that you own. And like, granted, there's like certain proprietary things you have to be careful about, but generally speaking, hire a lawyer, know your rights, know, like know your value, know how to know how to, you know, get help kind of writing out, um, that, you know, thoughts you need in the direction of a negotiation or happen. It's totally money well spent. And I wish I did that earlier in my life, but at least I've done it in the last five. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and us sharing that makes it so people do it earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't know. I mean, I didn't know. I don't know lawyers. I didn't, my, actually, Ray, the Dezenzo's dad, Ray Dezenzo, he was like the only like business guy I knew because I was like, he, he's like the CFO of like these big companies in Massachusetts. He has been for years. And like, um, I, I just, you know, it's just, you, you only know what you know. And it's just like, to your point, you know, like our kids are going to, you know, that this is like the great, you know, the great sort of opportunities that, have yet to see unfold for our children it's just like they're just you know they'll they'll know a lot more things and then they can kind of build you know build upon build upon like that that foundation um so i've apparently i've been saying it wrong because i was saying isle the nature but but how does okay (laughs) and i even looked up the the pronunciation but it's ill the ill the nature so it's like so the s is silent it's yeah yeah, like it's funny like the i'm uh, Damn you, Google! Um, I I was I was given fault. I was given the wrong information. So ill the nature is how we pronounce it. Um, and and I know we're we're going we're going along here. We have a little more time. Like let's talk about like finally. I feel like it sounds like you're you got it. Like you got it right now. All right, you're CEO. You have you have you have a you have skin in the game. Um, you're you're co-founder building building something that has like really important um, sort of it, it has, it has, it has a, an ethos that really means something um, for the planet. So like kind of give like how, how it all came about and, and would love to just make sure that we cover a bit, like what ill the nature is doing now, what are the aspirations for the brand in the months and years to come? Yeah. So Old and Nature is inspired by the belief that nature is our truest luxury. So with all of these climate affected regions, um, my partners and I just, you know, we reflected on some of these places might not be here when our kids are our age, you know, if we don't do something about this. And so these, my partners have, you know, tons of years of experience in the advertising industry combined, um, really successful people that have worked on some giant brands and received a lot of accolades. And so, they brought a really interesting perspective to this problem, which is like, we like things, people will always buy things, but what if we created things that actually address this problem, right? So when there are these catastrophic climate events, um, bees are wiped out and we need bees to live. And so my partners were in Dominica, um, which is a beautiful island in the West Indies, not to be confused with Dominican Republic, where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And um, their friends owned a resort there and they were all kind of like riffing on this, like you guys need to do something because tourism is affected and this is such an incredible place. And for whatever reason, so few people know about it. How can we raise awareness of the beauty of this country, the you know peril that it's put in due to climate change and also just give back? Like we, it's got to be meaningful. So they started talking about a candle and um, this was around the time I met my partner, Lynn Power, and she asked me to come on and be CEO. So this was towards the end of my tenure at Love Pop. And, you know, at that time I was ready for an exciting new change. And like I had said, I practice what I preach. I felt like if I'm going to be working this hard, I better have a bigger upside, you know? Right. Um, 
So spent two and a half years, I think now, um, bringing this product to market. So I came on with, you know, that. And so what, where we went with um, the, the initial concept was we created the world's first true luxury beeswax candle. So beeswax candles are cleaner and historically, um, they're just not very aesthetically pleasing, right? They tend to look like little beehives or honey bears and they're cute and things, but if you think about, um, you know, a luxury home or a luxury candle experience, there was no beeswax candle that was truly providing that. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time making sure that we could use pure um, beeswax sourced from Dominica, made with directly from um, maintained by Dominican beekeepers and keeping it in the community. So we got that. And then the challenge was, what do you blend it with? Because it couldn't be pure beeswax to have that like luxurious finish and work together with our luxurious fragrance. And so we ended up with a candle that is 51% beeswax and then coconut oil and then lastly soy. But mm -hmm. a lot of people think soy candles, like it just ends there and it's better and it's not because a lot of soy candles are blended with palm oil and palm oil harvesting leads to deforestation. So I could not have any soy that had palm oil in it, which was a challenge. So we were really demanding mm. about this product because we really, truly wanted it to be clean um, mm. because we haven't yet seen in the clean home wellness category what we've seen in clean beauty, which is people demanding transparency about what's in their products and what the impact is on, on our household environment. Yeah. And so... I stopped burning candles when I had my first kid because this information just wasn't available. And I think kind of instinctively, I was like, well, I don't know what's in this thing. I'm not going to burn it and have a little baby breathing it. So I just stopped. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he got older and I was like, I, I like candles. Like I want to burn candles again. But the more research I did, I realized, you know, even a soy candle isn't is only part of the puzzle you know so right. we worked on creating this incredible blend we had a, a, a fragrance created by the world's leading scent marketer um who's on our team but i wanted more and so i thought to myself like what about customer delight and that's you know one of the gifts i i got from my experience at love pop is i, I got to really dive deep and learn about how do you create these layers of excitement for customers who are trusting you with their money? And I think that's part of um, the magic of CPG that a lot of people really just discard, which is like, I think kind of easy to sell SaaS and everyone in SaaS can get mad at me, but asking someone to spend their company money is very different than asking someone to spend their paycheck on a product, like full stop. Like yep. it's just different, right? There's like yep. a very different emotional component to it. And that's not to minimize what they do. It's just a very, um, I think it's a slightly bigger hill to climb. And so for me, it's like, completely agree. If I'm going to, you know, like if I'm going to ask you to pay $125 for a candle, I better, every single facet of this thing better be perfect. So I said to myself, mm. you've got dip peak out here, Joe Malone, like all these luxurious candles and they're in a glass, a glass that probably calls cost them a penny. And then it just has a sticker on it. And people are buying these things and Instagramming them and calling them luxury just because these, you know, prestige brands told them it was luxury. But to me, burning a candle that pollutes the air that comes in a glass cup and has a sticker on it is not luxury. Again, I'm, you know, I'm mean yeah. and I probably make enemies, but whatever. Keep like, going. That's yeah. <laughs> like Speak that's up. not luxurious to me. Like it's a sticker. Um, and so yeah. I'm like, well, what else can we do? And so we have this really incredible person on our team by way of um, my business, business partner, Lynn. Joe Doucette is a Smithsonian recognized designer, um, super well known across the world for just, he's a brilliant human being. 
And I just made a comment in passing and I was like, because I am not a designer, I'm very untalented there. I said, what if it glowed from the inside out as it burned and you could like kind of see the honeycomb so you knew it was for the bees? And like literally just said yeah. it like that and then that was it. This guy comes back with the most beautiful design in the world. So the candle is handmade in America, in Brooklyn, out of translucent clay that glows from the inside out as it burns and reflects mm. our logo, which is a honeycomb pattern. To remind you that real bees made this product. We need bees to live. And you paid what you paid for this thing because no expense was spared to make you what is actually a truly luxurious candle. Luxury. Yeah. Um, so it's beautiful and it's reusable and we're coming wow. out with refills and all those other good things. But I just thought to myself, like, you know, that show antiques roadshow. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is the millennial going to bring on antiques roadshow? Like my game boy, like we don't, our generation, I feel like we, we don't have this, um, the beauty of like having things passed down a lot anymore because yeah. things are just not built to last. Right. Like we came of age during the time where no one thought twice about just making plastic stuff. And yeah. so for me, I'm like, well, millennials, we're getting older and we're all thinking more about our homes. We're all home more than ever because of COVID. This vessel for the candle should be more than a glass cup. This should be an art piece, something people ask you about, something you want to save, reuse again, and just treasure. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that's the first product. And, you know, we have room sprays and we have different sizes and I'm working on a, um, you know, a more accessible candle from a price point because, Ultimately, the vision is to just overtake Yankee Candle um, and try to become that for our generation because yeah. our generation doesn't shop that way. And, you know, we don't gravitate towards scents like Man Garage or, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. stuff that, like Yankee was like super amazing and it was a big novelty back in the 90s. But um, anyway, yeah, that's what yeah. we're doing. We're just trying to come out here and, and get a piece of this $7 billion opportunity. That's great. Um, what's it like? build you know what's it been like building the business during the pandemic and, and i know you're talking about this for for boston like startup week later this month um we were talk, chatting about it over email before we chatted today um like it, it sounds like you got really good i mean you got a good sense of like how to sort of like digitally network and 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 grow things um but how's it how's it been sort of like doing business find you know finding finding like minds finding partners like in, you know, working on your, um, sort of like optimizing your supply chain, like, you, you know, utilizing like, you know, regional partnerships, like what, what, what are sort of the, the things that like, have there been any aspects of, of the new life we're living in, like kind of all sequestered during this pandemic where you've actually developed some unique, um, you know, you've leaned into some of your superpowers, just like, you know, networking from, from afar and not necessarily needing to network in the physical world. Like, you know, how's it, how's it going? Cause there's, and there's also, you know, we got, we got a bit of ways to go in this pandemic. So how, you know, what, what's, what are some things that um, are tips that you could share with listeners on how you're continuing to, to grow the business right now? Yeah. I mean, so I was, I think I had the good fortune of really planning ahead. So I had been thinking about, you know, two years ago, well, how, if I want to sell candles online and people typically discover candles in person, how do I bridge that gap? And so mm -hmm. I created a scent coin, which is a piece of ceramic that's hand dipped in fragrance oil and it costs $20. Um, you can order it, experience the fragrance, fall in love with it. And then you can apply the purchase price of the coin to a candle, which brings down the price a little bit. 
Yeah, um, cool. So, yeah. So already was thinking about contactless retail. So not because of a pandemic, but more about yeah. the changing behavior of the consumer of this product. And so I was kind of ahead there, which I'm very thankful for. Wow. But I would say it's not about the networking, right? Like I think yeah. there's countless opportunities to network. I think it's the opposite. It's about being really intentional with your time and really mm-hmm. sticking to the high value conversations and events or whatever it is, you, ch- you know, that makes sense for your relevant product or industry. Yeah. Um, I have just shut out a lot of noise and I've not been able to do a lot of things that I would do if I had unlimited time, because even though we're all indoors, I feel like we're working harder than ever and we're virtual schooling the kids and all this other stuff. So having to be more conservative with my time has forced me to be more selective. And so by being selective, I think you put a little more time on the front end of asking yourself, well, like, well, what's the return on this activity, right? So like building a brand from afar, I would say my tip is like, don't just do stuff just to do it. Like ask yourself, okay, what's this going to cost me? If it's an hour of your time, apply an hour of value to your time, but then have a plan, right? So let's just pretend it's a virtual conference and the tickets are $75 and I value my time at $250 an hour or whatever. I'm already like, all right, well, this is like, kind of a no-brainer, right? It's only cost this much. It's not going to take that much of my time. I'll do an hour. But here's mm-hmm. my game plan. So there's an attendee list and there's 50 people on it. And I want 10 of them. I'm going to email them. And if half of them reply, we can do a joint giveaway together. And I want to increase my Instagram followers by a hundred people. I don't know. Like that's, I use that because it's easily quantifiable, but like thinking about what is this going to cost me? What can I possibly get in return? And then what's mm-hmm. the action plan that I have to see this to fruition? Because I see a lot of people and they're just constantly either on a panel, listening to a panel, going to the Zoom, going to that. And ultimately what that leaves you is starved for time and not actually working on your business, right? Yeah, well said. When are we going to see you back in Boston? Is that in the cards? Like, so right now, yeah. so you're, where, where, and where's, um, where's home right now? I'm not familiar with the Indianapolis like landscape. Like, are you in the city proper? Or is it like a certain community you're in? So we were in the city last time. So this time, because of the pandemic, we were like, we're ready for the suburbs Um, because we were in Belmont during the pandemic, right? You know, on the other side of Cambridge and we started looking for houses and we were just like, so here's my take. You can go from the East coast to the Midwest, but you can't go from the Midwest back to the East coast because no matter what you're looking at, you could be looking at a $2 million house over there. You're always going to compare it to here. Mm -hmm. And the houses here are just better. (laughs) They just are because everything's new and they're just like plowing down farmland to put up um, or cornfields to put up houses and stuff. So for this phase, not not that one's better than the other, but for this phase in our life where we were like, you know what, we're going to be stuck in the house. We don't know how long. My husband works in ag tech, so he was always traveling to farms. Mm -hmm. Um, He can't fly right now. And so being out here, he can drive to them. Uh, It's great. So it's good for his career. So, we yeah. came to a suburb called Westfield, Indiana, that's not far from the city. Um, we love it. But in terms of Boston, so yeah. my family's still there. My heart's still there. Um, Eldena Chur is headquartered in the Berkshires. And so the plan is when we can freely travel again, fingers crossed, I'm hoping to um, buy a spot out in the Berkshires so we can spend some time out there too. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, I am not unplugged from Boston. No, yeah, no, you aren't. And just like, and how you're sort of, um, 
your personal brand, like certainly on like Twitter and just like your, your you know, your network and just like the, the natural sort of banter that you have with like the Sarah Hodges of the world, like in Boston, like, I, like I just like, whether you were in Boston or not, like clearly you're like dialed in to sort of the Boston um, innovation scene for sure. Well, here's the thing about Boston, you know, I'll leave it at this is um, I believe that there's nowhere in the world that has a better community of women than Boston. Like mm. just facts. I, I don't, I can't speak, you know, there's a lot of amazing men in Boston who are part of my network as well, like for sure. But like yeah. the volume of brilliant, selfless, kind and talented women in Boston, I, I really do think is just completely unsurpassed. Um, there's absolutely no way that I could be fully unplugged from Boston. It was, it was a little bit tough to make the decision to come here because I was really worried that people would think like, this is it. Like I'm in the Midwest, but I think through this pandemic, we all have the privilege of looking at community differently. And so yeah. I thought this was my time to take that risk is like, no, I'm, I'm still an East coast person. And as soon as it's safe, like I will have a physical presence there and hopefully, you know, a, a space for my family there too. But um, it's time for us to rethink community because we're yeah. all forming these relationships online now more than ever. And so I will never willingly extract myself from that really incredible, um, just magical group of women that I am, you know, fortunate enough to be part of. And so revealing that I'm out here for the time being was very scary at first, but I think people have been really supportive of it and ultimately like just needed some space. And, and, and lastly, I'll say this, like I've worked with no paycheck on Elden Ature for two and a half years. So to give myself, um, as a founder, some economic runway, Right. Because yeah. that's the thing. It wasn't just like a material decision. There's gorgeous places to buy in Massachusetts. But when you think about the cost of living is what I meant from like going, yeah, from, yeah. you know, east to the Midwest. It's like no matter what you're doing out there, once you've already lived here, you're just thinking about the money you're leaving on the table. And when you're you know, working as a founder and not drawing a salary, it's just too attractive to not take a pause and be like, mm, let me just go somewhere a little cheap for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. No, that no. makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, Elden Ature is it's gonna be fun to watch the continued ascent of the brand. Like it's it's wonderful to kind of unpack the story a bit more with you. And and uh, I totally agree. Um, Boston's filled with, um, I would say, in general, uh, the most amazing. Um, sort of innovate like, un, like innovation community and and what's more what what's more underrepresented i would say is just like who those who like who those different sort of like diverse um innovators are you know people of color women um and not i'm not crazy about the general sort of media landscape and coverage or lack thereof of just like you know, the who's who of Boston. I think that that, I mean, that was one of the reasons moving back to the area, like wanted to do Boston speaks up and meet and meet and connect and, and share stories with, with folks like yourself. So when we, when we take this offline, um, I'd love to actually kind of get like, I, I know it's probably a long list, but I'd love to kind of get a sense for some of the folks that, that you would love to, um, you know, make, you know, suggest that, that I connect with in the, in the months ahead. Um, for the podcast oh, because that. that's what we're looking to do. Yeah. So I'd really appreciate that. 
Oh my goodness. I'm happy yeah. to do that. And also send you and your wife a scent coin. So send me your address and then okay. um, I'll create a special promo code for your podcast. Um, I'll just call it BFU 20. And okay. anyone who wants to try out Ilden and Church can get 20% off. But don't Wonderful. share that with anybody. It's only for podcast people. Only for podcast people. We'll <laughs> include it in our... And one of the, like our, we have a, one of our tweets that we'll put out kind of promoting the podcast. Um, we'll, we'll indicate that you have to listen to the podcast to get the, uh, to get the special code. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. That's, that's what I'll do. That's what, that's what we'll do. Um, cool. Awesome. Well, Veronica, this has been, this has been a pleasure. Um, I don't know if we covered this live on the podcast, but your um, tell your sister, Vanessa said, hello. We, we graduated high school together. Um, it's been forever. I'm glad to hear she's doing well in Miami. But tell her Zach said hi. Oh, nice. I actually I texted her as soon as I realized you guys knew each other, and she said, "Oh, he's so nice." Tell him I said hi. Oh, she's a sweetheart. Um, cool. Yeah, that that that's awesome. Well, maybe when post pandemic, if she's up this way, I, I never really get together with folks from uh, Methuen Lawrence. But like, I don't know what I haven't done any high school reunions or anything like that. But I'm the older I get, the more I'm like getting that like yearning to like still have like a solid connection with folks so tell her when she's up this way to let me know (laughs) ever 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 other than for like nicole johnson um maybe like a friend or two but for you vanessa and i will come out of uh, from under our rock hell yeah and we will do something (laughs) yeah no (laughs) it's literally around the holidays i will let you Uh, know because that would be so fun Um, let's do it safety first but yeah if there's a miracle, maybe we can do a socially distanced dinner or something. I would really love that. So yeah, let's, and if it, and if it can't happen this year because of the pandemic, then we'll do like, let's, that's, that's in our future. Amazing. Yeah. All right. We'll keep in touch. Cool. I'm send me your shipping address and I will think of some people that would be good for you to connect with. Sounds wonderful. All right. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, t- t- have fun with uh, your, your kiddos uh, dominating the, uh, the homeschooling. I hope it continues to go smoothly. <laughs> Yeah, same to you. Talk soon, Zach. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thanks for all the time. All right. Cheers. Cheers, Boston.